everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Dog Backwards, where we look at life, faith, and theology from a different angle. This podcast is sponsored by nobody. That's right. So if you want to support it, go to kaylamore.tv. My latest book, The Disappearing Garden, Surviving Babylon, When You Were Made for Eden, is available now. But if you're going to buy a book, I suggest you get The Epic of Eden, a Christian entry into the Old Testament, because the author is the person who's joining us today. Dr. Sandra Richter. She is the Robert H. Gundry Chair of Biblical Studies at Westmont College. She got her PhD from Harvard University's Near Eastern Languages and Civilizations Department. That's a mouthful. Uh, She's taught at Asbury Theological Seminary, Wesley uh, Biblical Seminary, and Wheaton College. She's, you've got a a couple of other books that are out. One on uh, how Christians can look at the world around us and how we should be caretakers of the planet that we live on as mm-hmm. well. What, what, remind me the name of that book. I didn't write it down. It is Stewards of Eden, What Scripture Says About the Environment and Why It Matters. And, yeah, and that just came out in 2020, didn't it? It did. It did. Okay. And, uh, public, it's the same publisher, uh, okay. Eden, which is, uh, they were after a little bit of um, uh, familiarity with the title, hence yeah. Stewards of Eden. Yeah. Anytime there's the, the word Eden in a book, I get excited because I know just, I'm fascinated with it. Um, that's where that's where home is for us, you know. I, this is my exodus. I'm I'm going home. Amen. So the way we do, I'm a church planner, and what we talk about all the time is the great reversal, and that's what mm-hmm. we're a part of is trying to just help the world incrementally go back home. So hmm. we have the largest food and clothing ministry in anywhere of the surrounding area. Because we say in Eden, nobody's hungry and um, nobody's going without. So that is I love a that. passion of mine. Awesome. Um, you are also, uh, a couple of years ago, I believe you became a part of the NIV Translation Committee. Is that correct? It is true. Yes, it is. Well, that is a great segue because the NIV has caused <laughs> me some problems. Um, I love the Old Testament. I'm trying to always help people fall in love with the Old Testament. I don't know if you know this, but when Johnny Cash went blind, they Hmm. asked him, what is the thing he misses the most? And he said, reading my Old Testament. So when I heard that many years ago, I said, why does Johnny Cash love the Old Testament so much? So I started reading and it's the history and it's the just the beauty and the narrative of it all. It's an epic, you know, combination of all these incredible stories. Okay. I yeah. got to say that the fact that it took Johnny Cash to get <laughs> about the Old Testament makes me really worried about the state of the church. But yeah. all the same, go Johnny. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was <clears throat> so when I when I grew up in church, you would hear bits and pieces mm-hmm. from the Old Testament. It was the same four stories in Sunday school even right. as an adult. Right. But there was never a connection, there was no meta narrative, there was right. no big picture of how it flowed together. Right. Um, so uh, my complete pet peeve and mm -hmm. why I wrote Epic of Eden and your church calls it the great reversal. I call it the great rescue plan. So, you know, at least we have the alliteration of rescue and reversal. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, The children's book. I read my kids every night, the story Bible. It talks about their great rescue. Absolutely. Yeah. The way they understand it. We've read that book. I've read that book to my girls so many times mm. and only, and I, and again, this is my, this is my gig, right? Um, mm-hmm. and all of my childbearing years getting a PhD in Hebrew Bible and the author of that book, um, every story whispers his name, I think is a son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
I think she disappointed me once, maybe twice. Which, that's incredible. That's incredible. Saying a lot. Yeah. 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 Somebody with such a critical eye in analyzing that stuff to mm-hmm. give it that approval. So if, if you have kids or, or hoping to have kids soon, this is the book. If you have friends that are having kids, give them that book to read to their kids. It's our, it's our daily evening reading. Um, one of the things that I, I've picked up from you over the years is I married a very strong woman. She is not uh, in the background as ministry. In fact, she has her own ministries and they're more successful than mine ever will be. And there's not a lot said when you go to church, there's always these heroes talked about and they're usually men. Mm -hmm. And when you do read about women in the Old Testament, sometimes there's things that are hard, especially now for women to relate to because it can seem, it is a totally different culture. It's Mm -hmm. very hard to see. And as I was reading Deuteronomy 22, and it's the verse 28 in the NIV, mm-hmm. has a translation that at our church we use the ESV, but maybe I could read it for the audience and you can help us understand how, where's the morality in this? Where's, how is this good? Why is it say it this way? And maybe just unpack that for us a little bit. Absolutely. So this is Deuteronomy 22, 28, and it's from the NIV. It says, If a man happens to meet a virgin who is not pledged to be married and rapes her and they are discovered, he shall pay her father 50 shekels of silver. He must marry the young woman for he has violated her. He can never divorce her as long as he lives. I do debates with atheists and these are some of the verses that they bring up and say, look what a moral monster your God is. So help us understand verses like this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, I didn't get a chance to say thank you so much for inviting me. I've never been on a podcast titled Dog Backward before. Yeah. 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 So I'm, you know, my, my cool quotient. <laughs> um, so I'm grateful. Um, thank you. All right. So uh, I actually have just written an article on this uh, particular pericope. That's a fancy word for set of verses. Um, it's going to come out in uh, the Journal of the Evangelical Theological Society sometime. Um, I also put out an online version of it, and you can share the link with your um, your audience, uh, which helps a little bit. Uh, the biggest issue in approaching laws like this is, is context. It's always context, 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 context. And as I address in the first chapter of Epic of Eden, our, our great barrier between us and them, which keeps us from being able to step into the shoes of our mothers and fathers in the faith is culture. And culture is huge. Uh, you don't realize culture is huge until you drop into somebody else's culture. And then all of a sudden you find out that, oh my gosh, these people eat fish for breakfast. No, they eat raw fish for breakfast. You know, oh my goodness, if I wear flip-flops in public. I'm the most disrespectful human being on the planet. Um, and there's there's an array of issues. I'm, you know, I'm only proposing um, light and almost silly ones. Yeah. We, as we step into Israelite culture, we are stepping into what an anthropologist would call a traditional culture. That means a tribal culture. And Americans in particular, we are anything but tribal. We are a nation of immigrants. We have left our tribes behind and we've struck out for a new life. So we are a bureaucratic culture. We turn to the state 
for all assistance necessary for policing, for unemployment, for uh, civil um, uh, disobedience and civil organization, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Israel was a tribal culture. And so if you're thinking indigenous Americans, if you're thinking what you see on the news when uh, you look at what's going on in the Middle East, um, you're thinking right. Uh, that's right. what tribal culture looks like. So for Israel, as they step into all of the standard issues of policing a community so that it can flourish, they're not going to be turning to a police force. They're not going to be turning to uh, governors and uh, judicial systems, et cetera, et cetera. Now, they have those things, but they come through the lens of family, not through the lens of the state. So if someone really gets in trouble, uh, the community is going to be turning first to their father, then to their uncles, then to the elders of the village. Um, they're not going to be pulling in some yeah. objective judge sitting behind a podium. So that's a yeah. thing that's got to get understood. Um, and interrupt me when you... No, I'm, okay. just, I'm just giving you your time because this is all good. I, I like good. it all. Okay. So as we move into that... Um, the next context that's critical for people reading the book of Deuteronomy is to realize that they're reading a law code. This is an yes. actual law code. Absolutely. Just like you and I, when it comes time to buy a house, keep it innocent, defend ourselves in court for a moving violation, or, you know, we actually have to go to court on something big and scary. We look at these law codes and we struggle to understand them as Americans looking at our yeah code. Uh, let me remind your audience that you've just stepped back 3,000 years yeah. trying to understand somebody else's law code. It would be like going to some tribe that's newly discovered and they don't, and trying to understand who they are. You know, we, we yes. don't want to project our own culture into the Old Testament and say, well, this doesn't work because it's not our culture. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny in this day and age, we're trying so hard to be uh, culturally sensitive to step out of our own ethnocentrism, which is another term that I champion in Epic of Eden. And I champion it with my undergrads all the time too. And I ask them to share their own cross-cultural experiences, which can start with their first sleepover at their friend's house. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah, when they find out that their friend doesn't have a curfew or their friend can eat ice cream in the afternoon, or their friend is actually allowed to watch SpongeBob, you know, <laughs> These these are cross-cultural experiences, but then, of course, it stretches to their first missions trip or uh, their first trip to visit the, the family relatives that are still in Korea or mm -hmm. add the layers. And all of a sudden, they realize that the world does not look the same that it does within the four walls of their little suburban home with 2.4 kids, a dog, and a cat. Um, yeah. So these are great experiences for all of us to be pressed out of our own comfort zone. But as I tell my undergrads, just like you can't get off the bus in Ensenadas, which is a village in Mexico that West mm -hmm. has been affiliated yeah. with for 45 years, just like you can't get off the bus in Ensenadas and start having a tissy fit because there's not a Starbucks available, yeah. so too don't get off the bus in Deuteronomy and start screaming about the fact that women don't have sexual agency. And that's where we're headed. 
Now, so help them understand a little bit what you mean by sexual agency. Mm-hmm. Like they, they don't choose their partner as no. here. It's just open and random and just, just however, whoever, whenever. Right. And in these cultures, why is that so important? Why is this the, the, the sexual relationship be- between a man and a woman so important into in how that culture functions? Yeah. Great, great questions. So let me start off before we lose your readers. Of course, yeah. Um, Deuteronomy readers, listeners, yeah. um, read uh, Deuteronomy twenty two twenty eight. I believe yeah. mistranslated in the end. Okay. So let me say that point out, and let me say as well that this year on the NIV committee, if I get all my stuff done, I will be putting forward a proposal to fix that. What are the odds of a proposal like that going through? And can very we high, very high? Okay. Yeah, it's just the time that's going to be involved. Um, if there's somebody we could tweet to like back you up on that, yes. let us know. Yes, you could, but I don't think Bruce Waldke tweets. I don't. I don't tweet either. <laughs> but, yeah. um, and for those of you who are not in my discipline, Bruce Waldke is a giant, a luminary of the mm-hmm. language, and he is actually um, uh, one of the senior members of the committee. And of course, if the man actually has a cell phone, we can. Yeah surprised. So the committee is actually this fabulous group of human beings. Um, When I get to go to the committee meetings, which we work all year, but we meet together two full weeks and it's, it's 10 hour days. I feel like I'm playing on the all-stars. Yeah. Yeah. I spend my day teaching uh, fourth graders how to dribble and pass. And then weeks out of the year, I get to actually play ball and it's, do you guys even speak English when you get together? Is it all Hebrew and <laughs> yeah, we Aramaic? Do, and just, we do speak English, but the jokes are really obscure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I okay. Imagine. So I do think this verse is mistranslated and okay. give you context, context, context as to why it's mistranslated. All right. So for your listeners, the first thing they need to understand is they've stepped into somebody else's culture and in that culture, because we don't have a police force, we don't have um, a, a Supreme Court and, and the judicial features that we expect in the states. Now, they do have judicial features, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, uh, things get handled differently. Uh, they also need to realize that in this tribal culture, the family is everything. The family's everything. Uh, all resources, all legal action, all protection of the marginalized comes through the family. So the patriarch of the clan, and I explained this in Epic of Eden, is the most powerful player in the average human being's life. That this patriarch, this eldest senior male, um, is responsible for the well-being of his extended family. And uh, in addition, the very average Israelite, like in, in probably 90% of the Israelites who are living under the Deuteronomic Code are living in an agricultural uh, uh, subsistence economy, which means they are barely making it. In fact, yeah. there is an is, um, Israeli archaeologist named Baruch Rosen who's actually um, quantified what barely making it means. And uh, what we're dealing with, another anthropological term, is these people are facing a 60-day hungry season, hunger. Yeah, season. almost starving. Uh, they're starving the whole winter. Yes, yeah. every year, every year. Mm-hmm. It's not actually the winter. The winter's the green season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're, they're starving at the end of summer. Um, but so everybody is is just scrambling 
to keep life and limb together. And it's the patriarch's job to make sure that happens. So as we look at the extended families that populate this community, that means the grandparents, the parents, and the, and the children are all living in a single family compound. Everybody's working their tail off. Um, we need to realize that for a woman in this society, she is born the child of her father, that's her identity. She is married and becomes the wife of her husband. If life goes well, she produces a son who cares for her in her old age. So for a woman in this society, her links to the legal system and to the economy are always through the men in her life. Now, God is not canonizing this culture. Very important issue. He just enters in. This is just, yeah. you got to pick one, right? So this is where you just jump in. I love that. You got to pick one. So if God's going to step into real space and time, He's got, he's chosen this culture and he's stepping into it in real space and time. He will tweak it. He will pass it through a Yahwistic lens. He will use this culture to teach these people his character, but he is not going to walk into Ensenadas and start screaming. There's no Starbucks. Yeah. He's going to walk in and embrace this culture and work through it. This, by the way, is why we call God Father. This mm. is why Jesus is known as the only begotten Yahid is the Hebrew term, which means the heir of the family. God, mm. God is beyond human gender for sure. But this is these are the metaphors we live by because he's explaining himself to us through. Does the Mormon Church know this? Uh, no, they they, okay. they they don't, and okay. the the J Dubs are struggling with it as well. Yeah, I will entrust them to you. Um, Thank you. Okay. okay. So uh, this is the culture we're stepping into. So as young adults grow up in this culture, they, they will receive a household education. If they're uh, lucky and their town is blessed, there will be uh, additional maybe Levites in town that will further educate them. But every member of the family is scrambling for survival. So the investment in pregnancy and in children with a mortality rate that can be as low or as high, I don't know how you want to say it, as one out of five births. Wow. Um, children are a huge investment. And you can hear that in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And therefore, obedience to the patriarch and um, uh, children knowing that their lives are targeted at the survival of the family and, and respecting their elders and honor your father and mother. Hey, that made the Big Ten, right? Mm -hmm. All an essential aspect of the survival of this community. So when a young man comes of age, and I, I look at the undergrads in my classroom, you know, these young men are hitting 18, 19, 20. They are at their absolute physical peak, right? Well, that didn't yeah. come out of nowhere. Someone's been feeding that kid three different meals at McDonald's and four different servings of dinner um, all of his life. Someone has been training him how to use a saw and a hammer and how to plant and how to plow all of his life. So when a young man comes of age, according to Deuteronomy, if he refuses to work, if he dishonors his mother and his father, if he's a glutton and a drunkard, you might know the law. I call it the youth pastor law. Uh, yeah. The job of the parents to pull him aside and say, young man, this entire extended clan has invested in you your entire life. It is time for you to invest our investment back into the survival of the clan. If he refuses the discipline of his parents, they are to take him to the town elders, which will be his uncles and his yeah. parents and his great uncles. If he refuses their discipline as well, 
And if he is busy consuming all the resources of the family, that's the glutton and the drunkard, but won't give his physical yeah. back to the family. Do you know what they do to him? Stone him. They do. Yeah. Bring him to the gates of the city and they stone him. Now we listen to that and we're like, oh my gosh, right? Yeah. But if we <laughs> if if we were on Survivor, I don't watch these films here. Uh, these these shows you're gonna have to help me. Yeah, yeah. I don't watch some, these. Yeah. If there was someone undermining the survival of the entire group, yeah. What do you do? Okay, so that's the young man's law. Now we have no, no. evidence that anyone ever actually brought their son to the gates of the city and stoned. It's him. more of like a, a threat, you know, it's it's a deterrent, right? That's what I think. Yeah. What I think. And that all of the the laws coming out of Proverbs about spare the rod, spoil the child, discipline mm -hmm. while they're young, all of these, I think, are like the guardrails of society. Yeah. Make sure you never get to the place where your beautiful 20-year-old son, whom you adore, who you've invested your life in, is standing in front of the gate, pulling shit yeah. down on the entire clan, and someone is handing you a rock. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. Don't, ever, don't ever get there. Okay, that's the young man. What gift does a young woman bring to the survival of the society? Well, she brings a lot of gifts as to homemaking and um, the skills that a woman has by the time she reaches the age of marriage are quite amazing. Carol Myers does a big um, essay on this in uh, one of the major publications on family in ancient Israel and talks about the type of skill that's necessary to keep a family clothed and fed in the Iron Age, which is the age of Israel. But her primary gift, and you can guess, is the gift yeah. of fertility. Yep. So just as a patriarch is responsible to steward the gifts of a young man's strength and um, uh, vocational skill, a patriarch is expected to steward the gift of his daughter's fertility. And that's why she is so carefully monitored throughout her life. Yeah. To protect her from the rascals of his community who might choose to actually rape and force themselves upon her or who might seduce her, right? To quote Taylor Swift, if you're 15 and someone tells you they love you, you're going to believe them. So yeah. both of those threats are, are very, very real. And that's what's being addressed in this pericope. So these are marriage laws. And so they, they are very clearly structured and they walk through all the potential compromises of this young woman's situation. And as we uh, look at the passages, um, we are offered several representative cases of sexual misconduct. So we're looking at verses 13 through yeah. 9. Verses 13 through 19 offer us crimes involving a married woman her status has changed dramatically. Once she's married, she's not under her father's supervision anymore. She's under her husband's supervision. And these include the uh, bride accused of being um, not a virgin on right. her wedding night. Um, this includes, uh, and so the first one is the bride accused uh, who is innocent and there are damages due. The second one, verses 20 through 21, is the bride accused who's guilty and therefore will be executed by her community. And verse 22 is a man and a woman caught in consensual adultery. And okay. that in this case, verse uh, 22, both will be executed by the community. Yeah. And the idea here, so foreign to our, um, uh, our society, 
is that adultery damages not only the man and the woman, but it does injury to both of their extended families. Yeah. It cripples their extended families. It shames their extended families. It cripples the lives of their children, as I think all of us can testify to. Yeah. And this crime makes the Big Ten because of the profound damage it does to a society. Now, let me ask a question, because how many families uh, at one time are going to be connected in a tribe like this? I mean, are we, because in my mind, I'm thinking of a very small group, maybe six to 15 individual families occupying a small area, kind of farming the similar mm -hmm. land. Mm -hmm. And so if there was to be a break in something like this, mm -hmm. like that entire society, this small mm -hmm. little tribe disintegrates. Mm -hmm. Exactly. These the statistics are these people live in villages, right? And we can substantiate that with archaeology. So the standard Iron Age village is about 250 people. Yeah. So I again with my students, I'm always working to help them wrap their minds around that. And uh, you know, they, they come from churches that are 10 times that size. Yeah. I'm like 250 people. Everybody is related one way or another, everybody knows each other. So the idea is that adultery is not simply a crime against your immediate spouse. Adultery is a crime against your spouse's extended family. Adultery is a crime against your children. Adultery is a crime against your children's potential spouses. And of course, a crime, adultery is a crime against your partner's extended family, children, and this can bring a village of 250 people to a screeching halt. Um, and of all of your listeners, uh, the statistics are that most of them have been touched by divorce. Mm -hmm. Of course, we've all seen therapists and read self-help books and all that sort of thing. Reality is the injury is profound. Yeah. The injury is profound. So I read a study once that divorce... Uh, is harder on a kid than if one of the parents had died. I, I, being a parent, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. 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 So because I mean, it would just those actions would destroy this entire community. I'm like, it's okay. it's almost I don't want to say a death sentence for the community, but huh. like, look, we're there's not going to be any thriving. We're already not thriving, and now we're even thriving less. We were barely surviving. Now we're in real trouble. Well, and it's considered. Um, it's considered an action of profound disrespect to the entire community because you're putting the entire community at risk due to your unrestrained appetite. And we don't have space for unrestrained appetites yeah. is basically yeah. the idea. Yeah. So the first paragraph here um, deals with um, uh, sexual misconduct as regards the married woman. And then we move on to parallel scenarios regarding sexual misconduct um, involving the unmarried woman. So now uh, we're going to move into verses 23 and 24, which deal with a consensual tryst or union between a man and a betrothed woman. So she's only engaged, but if you've ever yeah. the nativity, which is, by the way, one of the few Jesus movies that I heartily recommend, okay. this uh, a woman who's betrothed, 
what has happened is that uh, the family of the groom has already expressed interest in this young woman. The family of the young uh, of the bride has already accepted the proposal. Mm -hmm. Bride price, which is an unfortunate term, it should be gift mm -hmm. to the family, um, has already exchanged hands. This gift is um, quite significant. And the young man is now preparing to take a wife. So there will be a standard 12-month engagement period, while the young man who has committed himself is preparing a household and a life to welcome this young woman into his family. She has a year to prepare as well. And let me tell you, this young this woman is young. Um, she's young. And the, the, the estimate I can live with easiest is she's 14 or 15 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And this has to do with um, uh, length of life as well. I was excavating a, a cemetery with the Tell Dan excavation team a number of years back. <clears throat> and we had to move through a, a cemetery and we had to move through it quickly. It's a long story. We had an anthropologist with us. Uh, there, there wasn't anyone in that cemetery over the age of 45. And he did find a few young women, one of which was probably 14 or 15, and she died in childbearing. So yeah. These women are marrying young. Okay, so uh, verses 23-24 is uh, a young man who has uh, managed to talk a betrothed young woman into a sexual encounter. Um, both of these human beings will be executed. The second um, uh, scenario is verses 25 through 27, where a man is accused of rape. He mm -hmm. is guilty and he yeah. is executed. And I think we should probably read that one. So it's 25 through 27. Why don't you read it for us? Okay. Um, this is from the ESV, so it's not the NIV. Okay. But if in the open country, a man meets a young woman who is betrothed and the man seizes her and lies with her then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no offense punishable by death. You may keep going. Yep. For this case is like that of a man attacking and murdering his neighbor because he met her in the open country. And though the betrothed young woman cried for help, there was no one to rescue her. Okay. I will argue this is the rape law in Deuteronomy. Yes, yes. This is the rape law. And uh, this young woman has uh, been out and about in the hill country taking care of her chores, which could be spending all day with a flock by herself. That's not unusual at all. This man has found her, and the verbs, he has found her, he has seized her, chazak, and he has lied with her. And to lay with someone is a very generic term. It's, it's broad. Yeah, yeah very, very. It, there, there are no moral um, implications. But see in this law that the lawmakers are making it very clear that this young woman has, according to our rape law, she has not consented. Mm -hmm. Even though that young woman doesn't have sexual agency, right? She will yeah. choose her spouse. No young woman chooses their spouse. No old woman chooses their spouse. This is not a thing in a tribal society. Even so, she has refused this man, recognizing that as a betrothed girl, mm -hmm. is completely inappropriate for her to have sex with somebody else. Yeah, It is assumed that she has not consented because she's in the, in the hill country. Nobody heard yeah, her cry for help in the forest, but it's assumed that she resisted. 
she is compelled to report that with our rape laws. Yeah. She goes into the Council of the Elders and instead of having to explain how short her shorts were or if she encouraged him, it is assumed that she is innocent. Yeah. And he is executed. He In front of her, wouldn't it be, would it be like basically, yeah. here's a rock, you know? Yeah, throw, probably. Throw, throw. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't actually explain how he's executed, but the standard executions would have been in the, the public space of the village and everybody would have witnessed it, which yeah. cleared her reputation. Yeah. And she'd allowed to be married and treated as a, a normal yeah. woman. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about you. It will happen before your life is over. If you've ever been falsely accused, mm. it's not actually the repercussions <clears throat> of the action yeah. that um, that keep you up at night, mm. the fact that your reputation's been damaged. Yeah, this young woman mm. is going to be able to stand in the public square and watch her rapist being executed for his crime. And notice how the lawmaker goes to such extent to make sure we understand that this is a crime of violence, yep. a crime of attraction. Which yeah. if we look at rape law in our current society. We still can't get that straight. Yeah. Still asking about how short her shorts were. As opposed What did you do to lead them on? Yeah. yeah. As opposed to recognizing that this woman has been assaulted. Yeah. Has been beaten into submission. And uh, she never has to worry, is he gonna come back? Is he mm, is he gonna do it again? Are there others? He's dead. He's gone. Or, or I have to go to church every day and see. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have to go to school every day and pass him in the hallways while he leers at me and tells his friends about what we did. Yeah. And I think that the consequence, just to, for me guessing, would seem like that would compel somebody, I need to go say something. Like, if this happened, A, mm -hmm. I get my reputation back and they stop. Like, it's mm -hmm. very, very permanent. Like, I'm going to get back what's mine, what I feel like he took to some degree. Yeah. And well, she, he's gone. And she does. She doesn't even have to. I mean, well, I mean, she's going to have to tell someone. She's yeah. she's probably going to come home like most victims of rape, bruised and bloodied, and and with her personality altered. In the yeah. article, I actually launched the article with uh, the scene out of Downton Abbey. If your readers or listeners have yeah. watched it, where the very sweet character Anna is is raped by a visiting valet, but. Um, the deal is it's assumed that she will report. And I do a lot of statistics in my article about how most rapes in our world go completely unreported. And when they do get reported, the conviction rate is so low, yeah. many, many women just choose not to add insult to injury. Yeah. So in this rape case, it is very clear she's been assaulted. It is assumed that she will report. The rapist is executed. Her reputation is restored. And um, this business about doing it in the field versus doing it in the city, um, the Talmud, which is additional Jewish interpretation, clarifies that if there is any situation in which a woman has been forced into this position, regardless of the actual physical location, she's mm. a, he's yeah. case closed. But then what about, why do we have this uh, in verse 28? Right. Because the critics always say, well, the Bible supports that, if, you know, and, and um, so that question first, and then how does this compare to other laws in the surrounding areas at the time? 
Right. Thank you. And the uh, doing comparative study of the other codes is really, really important. And unless your listeners are going to go forward and do a PhD in ancient Near Eastern literature, they're going to have very little exposure. But yeah. everyone has probably heard of the Law Code of Hammurabi, which mm-hmm. does address these same cases. Um, I will pull up the Middle Assyrian laws and the laws of Eshnunna in uh, my publication as well. Um, all of these law codes address these issues uh, because, uh, hey, go figure, sexuality, yeah. marriage, rape, uh, seduction, incest, molestation, all of these things go back to the dawn of time. And if we don't regulate them as a civil society, we will not have a civil society. And I also just want to throw in here, although this isn't Deuteronomy, it's much more Leviticus. Yeah. Can I tell you that even with all the privileges that a patriarch has, even with all the privileges in the society that a husband has, if a man is caught molesting any of his junior female household members, we're talking incest here, mm-hmm. the man's dead. It's done. Mm. It's done. Yeah. And if we could simply control incest in the very progressive, liberated United States of America, if we could control the uncle who is sneaking his young niece into a back room to destroy her life and future, can you imagine how much healthier our society would be? Yeah. Israel had zero tolerance. So we go back 3,000 years, and there are things that they were totally getting right. And now in our full of laws, full of policemen, full of that, but there's the breakdown of the family and the tribe. There's not accountability within the family anymore. No. And and honestly, I'm going to conclude my article with um, the sentence that – everyone uh, shouted at me that I wasn't allowed to exclude. And that is looking at the Iron Age of Israel as a mother of two, um, in my opinion, perfect children. Um, I make the statement here in our um, progressive and bureaucratic culture, I therefore must conclude, uh, and this this will be my closing statement, that societal structure, i.e. a tribal culture, does not necessarily predict attitudes toward violent sexual crime. And I must conclude, here's my sentence, based on what I read in the Constitution and Bylaws of Ancient Israel, that my daughters likely would have been safer wandering the hill country of Iron Age Israel than they are attempting to cross the quad at UCLA. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, let's get to that law before you run out of time. Okay, so if a man happens to meet a virgin, okay, so now she's not betrothed. There's no husband involved. There's only a father involved, okay? So she's not betrothed. There's only one family in question here. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, she's not pledged to be married, and he rapes her. That's what the NIV says. Well, the Hebrew Bible doesn't say that. It does not say chazak. It doesn't say he seizes her. It says basically he redirects her. Uh. Um, this is this is what you do um, when you're picking up a tablet to carry it from one place to another. It's also what you do when you're bringing um, your incorrigible son before the elders. Okay, mm-hmm. so there is some level of taking, but yeah. this is not this is not violence. 
kind of manipulative mm, That's where I'm going. Yeah. So he takes her and they are discovered. Mm-hmm. It says most literally he takes her and they are discovered. Let me um, introduce your listeners to the fact that there are actually parallel laws in the Hebrew Bible as well, because there are multiple law codes in the Hebrew Bible. Um, there are at least three. And um, in those parallel law codes, we have got the Book of the Covenant, which is um, Exodus 19 through 23. We've got the Book of Leviticus, and we've got the Book of Deuteronomy. So let's take a look at the parallel law, which is actually in Exodus um, 22, 15. Okay. Caleb, if we can pause here for a moment. I'm having trouble sure, go ahead. finding the passage. I want to make sure I'm reading the right one because how embarrassing if I read the wrong one. All right, I got it. You're good. You ready? Yep. Okay, so we're looking at Exodus 22 verses 15 through 16, which is a parallel law. And it says, if a man, pata, that's the verb, a virgin who is not engaged and lies with her, he is required to pay a bride price to her to become his wife. Her father absolutely refuses to give her to him. He shall pay silver equal to the bride price for virgins. So we have these two parallel laws and we we need to interpret them in tandem. So in Deuteronomy, we have this verb about taking. And in Exodus, we have this verb pata, which means literally to open. It also means to seduce, to deceive, to manipulate. Uh, mm-hmm. mm. Quoting Taylor Swift again, the ultimate. <laughs> yes. If you're 15 and uh-huh. they love you, you're going to believe them. What yeah. I think is being addressed in uh, verse 28 of Deuteronomy 22 is the same thing that's being addressed in Exodus 22, 15 through 16. We have already seen the law of the violent rape. What mm-hmm. now is the seduction of a young woman. Now, in code, we would still want to delineate, you know, uh, because we have sexual agency laws, too. Hmm. Now, in Israel, women never have full sexual agency. That's their culture. In the United States of America, any woman under the age of 18, in some states under the age of 16, does not have sexual agency either. True. So Mm -hmm. if a 30-year-old decided to start a relationship with a Mm 14-year-old, even if he had full consent, even if she was sneaking off to meet him, even if she was um, uh, enthusiastically partnering with him, her testimony would not stand up in court. Right. She would still be seen as a woman without sexual agency, and he would still be termed a rapist. Yeah. Okay. This uh, essentially is what's going on here. Okay. Have a man who has a level of agency, who has seduced a young woman who has no agency. He has convinced her one way or another to have sex with him. And she is now left in a horrible place. Mm. Horrible place is that she has rendered herself potentially unmarriageable. Her family who are subsistence farmers can no longer get the gift that would normally be given that would help make up for her the loss of her presence and labor in the household. 
she no longer has a career ahead of her. And marriage and childbearing and organizing a household in the ancient world was a career path. This is not just um, you know, a side thing that a girl does while she's busy trying to become a partner in the law firm. This is her career path. So she is in a horrible position. The family is in a horrible position and the young man gets to walk away. Right. In fact, I talk of him, I speak of him, another old country song, Walk Away Joe. Yeah. Yeah. He was hoping for an unencumbered affair. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he's not going to get one. We call him a player. I'm yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 In the, in the hood, we call that a player. Right? Okay. He just, just talks good, slides in, slides out, got what he want, and she's broken. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And she wakes up the next morning feeling completely dehumanized, realizing she's given away her future yeah. for nothing but... For a smooth talker. Yeah. Yeah. So does he get to walk away? And the answer is, hey, yeah. sorry, dude, you thought you were going to get a, a quick and easy in and out. And we're going to assume that this young woman actually is enamored of him. Yeah. Nope. Um, uh, uh, meet your new wife. Yep. Not only is she now your wife and you have to make good on that commitment, but you have to pay the highest bride price mm. compromise here. Yeah. And uh, so you've taken care of the welfare of the family. You've taken care of the security of the young woman. And dude, even though we know that legally you can turn around three years from now and try to divorce her, haha, you can't yep. divorce this young woman as long as you live. You can take a second and a third wife. That is a part of tribal society. Yeah. But this woman has her privileges and yep. privileges will be the firstborn of the household who will become the next patriarch yeah. for the rest of her days. She's your wife. Yeah, she so is. death do you part, bud. Yeah. 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 So let me put another side to this law. Gordon Hugenberger and his massive monograph on uh, marriage as a covenant pulls in here. And um, so do several of the major players in uh, Deuteronomic law as well. That, okay, this is a, a traditional tribal society. Uh, women have no sexual agency. Um, men are limited as well. But, you know, women, when it comes to their sexuality, they their partner will be chosen by their father. And point on, if they commit adultery against their husband, it's a capital crime. And if their delivered son fails to uh, feed, clothe, and protect them as a widow, um, he will be breaking one of the Big Ten. So, you know, this is what her world looks like. Okay, in this society, let's say that she's fallen in love with the tailor. And yeah, it's a fiddler on the roof reference. Yeah, yeah. And he does not have the same sort of financial security that um, an older man who's a banker or butcher or whatever has. And so this young woman's father, out of concern for the larger financial well-being of the family, has promised her to a man she does not love, um, to a man who will take care of her, who will treat her well and give her children, but she is madly in love with the tailor. Mm. Okay? So what's she gonna do? Well, Gordon Hugenberger and many others actually argue that this last law is the loophole in a traditional society. Okay. If the bride-to-be, right, if, if the one who knows she's about to be promised, and the young man who has wanted her since he was seven years old, sees this betrothal coming, they can risk it all. Oh, yeah. Run off to the vineyard. Yeah. 
um, get to know each other intimately. And now the entire community is going to look at this and say, bummer, dude. You're married now. Marry her off to the tailor. Mm. It's kind of a fun little side read of this. Yeah. Yeah. So all that to say, um, this, I do not believe this is a rape law. I think it's, it's a seduction law. I think it's a law born of necessity of a traditional culture, uh, a limited economy. And yes, it is a different culture. Um, <clears throat> they handle courtship and marriage very differently than we do. Uh, honestly, I look at my undergrads and I see profound confusion as to how yeah. we're supposed to handle courtship and marriage. Um, and yeah. there we are. So we yeah. Caleb Moore. This is, this is why I was so excited to have you on because you bring it all to life. And what I always encourage people to do is not to skip the hard stuff in scripture. If, mm. if you'll treat it like fine food, not fast food, and you eat slowly and you dive in and you really think through it all, it becomes so much richer and alive. And you get a, you start to begin to see, hey, maybe there's some things in here that we should implement in our society, even how I raise my kids how I talk to them about marriage and how, and the consequences of those actions when they're a little bit older, be careful not to go down these roads because it destroys, it destroys families. Hmm. And so I can point them to this stuff and it really, people think the old Testament is boring or lame. <laughs> and when they hear somebody who loves it, hmm. Donald Miller, uh, who wrote blue like jazz many years ago said he never liked jazz music until he saw somebody play it. And just when you see them play it and how much they love it, you can't help but love it too. Hmm. So my, my hope was, is that when you came on and you unpacked this for us, people would begin to fall in love with the Old Testament too. Hmm. But really, that's in De all that's in Deuteronomy. <laughs> and I never thought about all this stuff. And they start to look at it again with some fresher eyes. And I, I think we accomplished that goal. It's, it's fascinating stuff. And I mean, that's, that's one chapter and yeah. next week we're going to have you on and you can do the rest of Deuteronomy each week. We're just going to have you walk us through it all. Um, Let me tell you that I'm, I'm actually, I'm on sabbatical right now. What I'm supposed to be doing is writing my Deuteronomy commentary. Oh yes. But I, you know, it's really hard to stay away from real people that long. So yeah. thanks. Yeah. Thanks for pulling me out of my cave long enough. To oh, it's my pleasure. It's a huge <laughs> honor. And do you go by Sandy or Sandra? Sandy. Yeah. Um, I'm published under Sandra and uh, search engines are what they are. Um, yeah. But the only time I get called Sandra is when I'm in trouble. So. Okay. Well, I know I have uh, quite a few women who listen to this podcast who are hmm. wise and intelligent. And in our culture, there still can be this sense where their intellect is not as respected as that as much of a man. Mm, really? And what what? stunning that <laughs> is. Stunning. I'm staggered by that. <laughs> I've known ever since I met my wife, she was smarter than me. So I, I'll, I'll play the dumb one all day long. Um, what would you say to them as they're interested in diving in this? Because a lot of them, their husbands aren't going to lead them into deeper thought like this. Mm. And so they might be in relationships with uh, guys in high school or college where they're not encouraged to think this deep. Mm. What resources, what would you say to somebody who just wanted to dive a little bit deeper besides pick up your book. Mm. Oh, as in my book. Okay. I thought we were talking about the Bible. Um, well, I would encourage them to pick up the book because it does a lot yeah. of culture. And one of the things I'm supposed to be doing while I'm in my cave this year is um, 
uh, writing a, a new edition of Epic uh, so that it can get, get yeah. fresher. Um, uh, yeah, there are, gosh, there's so many good resources out there. Um, I do have, I have a slew of curriculums out there with Seedbed and with Zondervan that will help with study groups. Let me tell you that, Pastor. Um, and uh, that are uh, DVD streamed and study guides. Um, there uh, are a lot of books out there like Epic of Eden. Um, NT is always a great resource. Um, when it comes to the relationship issue, oh, this is, I, this is always so complicated. And this pulls out my, my mom realities, my experience myself as a young woman. Um, I am of a generation where women were not welcome in church leadership. I actually started my life as a pastor. And, and <laughs> when I was accepted to Harvard University, right? I'm accepted to Harvard University, right? To yeah. PhD. My district superintendent told me that I had to choose between my credentials in his denomination or pursuing a PhD. I could not. Mm. And it was largely an excuse to get rid of a hot potato. Um, yeah. And I, I, of course, was the hot potato. Um, so that's why I'm not a pastor anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a thousand stories that go with that. So from my mom hat, uh, young women, God has entrusted you with a gift. And your responsibility, to, according to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and Ephesians 4, is to find that gift and use it to the best of your ability. Yeah. And if there are people in your world that are not supporting that reality, you don't necessarily need to break relationship with them, but they're not the voices you need to be listening to. If you don't right. pursue your gift, if you don't use your gift, it's a crime against God and it's a crime against the church. And now let me speak to the pastors. Pastors, if you have young women in your church with gifts and you can see those gifts and you keep being distracted by the young men in your church who either have the same gifts or aren't gifted, stop it. Your, your calling as the shepherd of the flock is to find, nurture, disciple, and deploy those gifts because the Lord of the church, that would be the Holy Spirit, has entrusted that gift with her and it's your yep. job to shepherd it. Yeah. So, there's my my preaching moment. I appreciate it so much. There was, uh, I told our church on Sunday, as we've been walking through the history of this church being so old, there were times, we're outside of Tulsa by about 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Traveling preachers would stop here, and it's it's Native American land. They would stop here um, on their way to Tulsa. So they would preach for a week or two, but they're on their way to the oil capital. They didn't care mm. about us. It was the women who kept the church going. Yeah. For years, yeah, when there was no pastor, it was yeah. it was the women, and so um, I know our culture has kind of shoplifted that movement a little bit and uh -huh. made a mockery of it. But Jesus is the author of mm -hmm. they're equal; mm -hmm. they're, they're, they go together. Yeah, Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, great to be here, Caleb. Yes, I loved it. Loved it. Okay. Thank you. And uh, if you want to know more, do they have a website you can go to? Uh, the easiest place to go is actually my faculty page at West okay. College, and my speaking schedule is usually published. There are a couple of links to podcasts, um, yeah. and uh, I have an author page at Seedbed. I have an author page at IBP. Um, 
my newest curriculum, hey, let me advertise, uh, is coming out with Zondervan. It's the Book of Psalms. Um, we just finished filming that. And I just finished filming a Seminary Now course in environmental stewardship. And, oh, and that's my newest book as well, Steward. Great. Yeah. Well, uh, be sure to look her up, Dr. Sandy Richter. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to finally sit down and visit with you. You I've too. I've loved your videos for a long time. God bless, Thank and you. I hope uh, you have a great day. You too.